If you go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, as we continue in our study of Matthew, today we are in verses 22 through 36. If you've been with us, you know that we've been looking at Matthew's gospel for some time. In fact, today marks the halfway point. So if it's been miserable for you, you only have about a year and a half more. Uh, so uh, we're going to press on either way, but uh, hopefully it's been of some edification to you as we've been looking through this gospel. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 22 through 36. It's a passage that uh, you have probably heard about, even if you're not a student of the Scriptures, about Jesus walking on the water and Peter uh, coming out of the boat and walking as well. And so we're going to look to this today and prayerfully God will teach us what it means for us to have true faith as we look to His Word. Let me go ahead and read it and then pray for our time in God's Word this morning. This is what... The Lord says to us through Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret, and the men of that place recognized him, and they sent to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray for our time in God's Word this morning. Father, as we look to this passage, we pray that you would teach us this morning. We pray that Your Spirit, the Spirit that we read of in Genesis 1 that hovered there above the waters and created and part of the triune God brought brought life to Adam and Eve and Your Spirit that has moved throughout the churches for ages. Lord, we pray that that Spirit would move among us today. We pray, God, that, that that Spirit would awaken us, that that Spirit would teach us. We pray, God, that The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Your Spirit, Lord, would fill us and give us insight and understanding to this passage. Lord, we're aware that apart from You, our minds will wander, we will be distracted, we will think of worries and anxieties and and fears and schedules and things to do and places to go. Lord, we need Your Spirit to draw us to Your Word this morning. And so we pray for that. We pray that You might teach us and transform us as we look to Your Word. And we pray for this. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever been in one of those places where you're, you're asked something that you weren't expecting to be asked? I was a number of years ago, and this is the question. The question was, so are you here to give me my helicopter? 
I wasn't expecting that. Uh, you see, I was on a mission trip. Uh, I was in West Africa. I was in the nation of Niger, uh, one of the poorest places in the world. It's the sixth poorest country. Uh, I was among a people who were surrounded by death and disease, who had virtually nothing. I was in the hut of a man. I'd gone to visit him with the missionary that I was there doing ministry with. And as we went into this man's hut, I looked around and I saw around him all his earthly possessions, which were to us mere rubbish. We would have taken those things to the trash. He had very little. Uh, as I began to talk to him, though, that was his first question to me. He said, are you here to give me a helicopter? Uh, he kind of smiled uh, after the translator told me what he was saying, and he went on to tell me why he brought that up. You see, I was not the, the first so-called missionary uh, to come and to meet with this man. A number of months before, uh, a different group had been in that area. Except this was a group that their, their message was one of a, of a prosperity gospel. They had come into Niger basically to tell people, if you look around you and you look at your death and your suffering, uh, this is because of your unbelief. And if you will trust Christ and have faith, He will heal your people and He will heal your land and vegetation will flourish and, and you'll have money and goods and resources. And so when those missionaries had come and talked to this man and they told him this message, uh, he asked them the question. He said, so well, well, can God give me anything? And they said, well, certainly God can give you anything. He said, well, God, can God do anything? Oh, certainly God can do anything. He said, well, would God give me a helicopter? And they just kind of looked at him. And as the missionary went on to share and interpret the story, he said, well, well, certainly if you, you had enough faith, God would provide the resources. And if that's what you really need and really desire, and God wants us to give us the desire of our hearts, yes, He would enable you to get a helicopter. And then, then this man, surrounded by disease and sickness, this man who went on to share with me about several of his own children had died at a young age of malaria, he, he looked at those men in the face and he said, what good would a helicopter be? My children are dying. And as I sat there and talked to him, he thought I was there to just share part two of that message. That I was there to just tell him, well, if you just believe enough, you'll have things. And I went on to tell him, no, that wasn't the message at all. That's not the message of the Gospel. Yet as I talked to him, I was so discouraged because I thought that this diseased message that is throughout the church in our own country today, it is all over the world. This message that, that faith really comes down to this. If, if you have enough faith, then you'll have enough stuff. If you have enough faith, then you'll have enough health. If you have enough faith, then you'll, you'll get what you really want. And yet, I do not believe that's what the Scripture teaches the true nature of faith is. And I think we see one example of that as we look to this text this morning. It is a familiar text. It's a story that we learn if we grow up in church. Oftentimes we focus in this story on, on Peter and his faith and how when he takes his off of, off of Jesus, he sinks and, and we'll get there. But, but I think there's a bigger message here and it's a message that we so desperately need in the church today because we have been influenced. You might want to say... We've been a bit corrupted by this notion that, that the God that we serve is nothing more than a supernatural Santa Claus. And that if we want stuff, we just go ask Him for it. And if we believe enough, He'll, he'll give us those things. And we've come to the point where you can walk into 
uh, a Christian bookstore. It doesn't matter what denomination it is. It can be our own Baptist Christian bookstores. And, and if you're not discerning, you, you will pick up a book and it will just basically tell you that. Your, your life is hard. Your life is a mess. It's because you don't have enough faith. And if you had enough faith, then everything will work out just fine. Well, is that what the text says? I don't think so. And, and let me show you that today and perhaps you will see it as well as we look to this situation here. You know the context is going on. In Matthew 14, uh, Jesus has learned of the death of John the Baptist. Perhaps John didn't have enough faith. Uh, here's John who in prison is wondering, is Christ even the Messiah? And he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the one or should we look for another? And then you fast forward to that story to the end of his life. Uh, here's Herod, and we went over this a few weeks ago, but, but basically the, the conclusion is this man takes the head of John the Baptist because John the Baptist is proclaiming not only the Gospel, but the truth of the Gospel and, and the truth that, that sin must be repented of. And Herod doesn't like this message, nor does his new wife, and so they take John's life. Jesus hears of this, he withdraws. He goes to be by himself, likely to go and pray. That's often what we see Christ do. But on the way, what happens? We saw this last week. He encounters thousands of people. Uh, they, they hear about Jesus. They've heard He's the miracle worker. They are diseased. They are sick. They want Him to heal their lives. And so, He heals thousands of people. And then the disciples come to Him and say, well, you've got to send these people home. Uh, they need something to eat. And we looked at this last week about how how. Our sufficiency is insufficiency, that, that only Christ is truly sufficient. And, and that's the point of the feeding of not only 5,000, but the Scripture tells us it's 5,000 men, there's women, there's children, perhaps there's 10, 20, 30,000 people here. And Christ is teaching the disciples and teaching us something, that, that we are insufficient. Our little loaves and fishes don't add up to much. But He blesses. He is all-sufficient. He feeds the multitudes. But remember, He was on His way to retreat. And that's where we come to in the text today. Verse 22 says, immediately, He, he, he pulls away from the crowds. That we know from the other Gospel accounts, specifically John, that, that there's more going on here than Matthew tells us. That Jesus, John 6.15 tells us, perceives that the crowd wants to make Him the King. See, the, the disciples and others were looking to Jesus to be a king now. Uh, the Messiah would reign now. He would take over politically now. And that's what they were looking for. And he knew that's what the crowds were. were the text tells us going to take him by force at this point. This miracle worker. So he pulls away. And so, so let's look at this. And, and as we do, the, the first thing we're going to look at is this. The nature of true faith. Having true faith. It doesn't mean that our life's going to be free from hardship. This notion that if I just believe enough, if I have enough faith, then life will get easier. That, that's an unbiblical notion. And you'll see an example here in the text today. Think of what's going on here. The disciples have just been a part of Jesus feeding thousands of people. And so now Jesus, because there's a threat, the crowds are going to try to make Him king. That's not the timing. That's not the plan. He's going to be king one day of a new heaven and new earth. Not here and now this way. He has to go to the cross first. And so he pulls away, but in pulling away, he puts the disciples in a boat, he sends them across the Sea of Galilee, he goes up on a mountainside to pray. Now, think of what happens here. Here you have the disciples. They've seen the miraculous take place. They are following the instructions of Jesus. They don't always do that, much like us. 
But here they are. They're in the boat. They're going across the sea. It should only take a matter of hours. But they encounter a great difficulty. Why? Because there's a storm. Between this gospel narrative and the others, we know that literally the wind is blowing against them to the point that they are stuck in the middle of the sea for hours into the middle of the night. Now when's the last time you saw in the gospel in Matthew's gospel the disciples in a boat in a storm? Well, not long ago, Matthew chapter 8. You remember what happened there? Jesus is asleep in the boat and the disciples are sitting there saying, well, he'll, he'll take care of it. We don't need to worry. No, that's not what they're doing. They're freaking out. Uh, they wake him up and they say, we're dying here. Jesus, hello. We know you're God of universe and all, but you know we're, we're dying and you're sleeping and that's not working real well and we need you to do something. And so Jesus stands up and in a moment, He calms the storm. But it's a little different this time. Because Jesus isn't with them in the boat. Jesus told them to get in the boat, go to the other side. On the way to do that, a storm kicks up. A huge, massive storm. They can't get anywhere. And although text doesn't tell us specifically, we can look at Matthew chapter 8, and we can pretty much gather here the disciples are not sitting around playing charades at this point. They are distressed. They are worried. They are anxious. They are fearful. And Jesus isn't with them this time. And maybe they're starting to wonder, does Jesus even know what's going on? Because this storm isn't being calmed. And Jesus put them in the boat and He sent them across and now here they are in the middle of what they don't know but perhaps believe could be their demise. And where is Jesus? I think this account holds so much in it, but, but I think there is such a parallel here to the Christian life. Because so often in the Christian life, we, we, although we will disobey and we will wander, there's, there's times when we're, 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 we're seeking to live according to God's Word, and we're seeking to be faithful to God's Word, and we're seeking to live according to it. And we're getting in the boat when Jesus tells us. And all of a sudden there's this storm in our life. And everything's falling apart. And we look around and we don't see Jesus. We just see a storm. And we start to wonder what the disciples are probably wondering. Where is Jesus in the midst of this? And maybe you're in that right now. And maybe you're, both, you're, you're trying everything you can, but you can't move forward because everything's pushing against you. And Jesus isn't asleep. You don't know where He's at. And you're wondering, Christ, where are you? The text tells us where He is. The text tells us that when He put the disciples in the boat, He went up to the mountain by Himself to pray. We learn from the Gospels that Jesus, when He would pray, one of the things He would pray for was the disciples. And so what a picture we have here. If you could picture a portrait of these men in a boat, distressed and crying out, God, where are You? And the very Son of God on a mountaintop nearby, looking out, seeing them, is on his knees praying for them. And that's exactly where the Scripture tells us he is today. The writer of Hebrews says that even now he is interceding on my behalf and your behalf. You wonder where Jesus is in the midst of your storm? He's on his knees praying 
for you. He hadn't forgotten the disciples, as we'll soon see. And He hasn't forgotten us either. And having faith in Christ does not mean that there's not going to be storms and it doesn't mean in the midst of those storms that, that we're going to suffer for a few minutes and then look up and see, oh, there's the lesson. Okay, now I understand Jesus. It means those storms can rage on perhaps for the entirety of your life. Having true faith in Christ doesn't mean the storms go away and it doesn't mean you get a helicopter. Having true faith does not mean that our life is free of these things, but it does mean that we can trust in the One in whom we have faith. And I believe that is where this passage goes. Is not only does true faith mean that, that, that these things will happen, hardships will come, but it also means that we need to look to Jesus in the midst of those hardships. Notice what happens here. The, the disciples are distressed. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, the night was divided into four watches. The fourth watch would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., we know already from the text that they're already in the boat before it even becomes evening. So we're not talking about a few minutes. Sometimes we read the text and we think about it like as fast as we're reading it. And so they're in the boat, there's a storm, Jesus walks across the water. You know, boom, boom, boom. And it's a 30 second infomercial during the Super Bowl or something. No, this is hours. This is through the night. This is in the darkness. It's the middle of the night. And they look out and they see Jesus. But notice they don't know it's Jesus says they see, they don't know what they see, they're terrified, and they say, it's a ghost. And they cry out in fear. The disciples aren't even looking for Jesus. It's not as if they're sitting there in the boat, worried, but also believing, thinking, well, any time now Jesus is just going to come out here. No, that's not what they're looking for. So when it happens, they're confused. They don't know who this is. They don't know what's going on. And they, like so many in the Scriptures, are trying to rationalize. They're trying to, to, to put the pieces together in ways their minds can get around it. Jesus is a man. Men don't walk on water. There's got to be something supernatural here. So just like Herod, who we saw in the text before this one, when he hears about Jesus, is saying, well, men can't do this, and so maybe this is John the Baptist reincarnated. The disciples are going, we don't know what this is. Maybe it's a ghost. But Jesus immediately responds to them in the midst of their fear and their worries. Verse 27, immediately, He says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. You can take that passage, and you can look throughout the Scripture and you can see a similar word from the Lord over and over again. Take heart. Be strong and courageous. You can look at Moses. Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. He's about to die. He's talking to Joshua. Joshua's probably a little anxious, worried. Doesn't know how this is going to play out. What does he say? Be strong and courageous. God will not leave you or forsake you. He is with you. Very similar to the statement that we see here. You can read the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is writing to the people of God during a time when they just keep, they can't get it right, and so God continues to allow them to be in captivity, and their life's in turmoil. And what does he say to them? You don't need to be afraid. Take courage, because your God is with you. And then he goes on chapters later to talk about how that God would be with us in Christ and Emmanuel. It's a similar word we have throughout the Scriptures, but, but here's what just, just jumped out at me as I studied this text. And I told the first service, I, 
I said it was like this, and then I couldn't explain this, because I don't have words for this. You start studying this text, and you start getting into the wording, and here's, here's a literal translation of what Jesus says. Take heart, or take courage. I am. Now, if that doesn't jump out to you, let me fill in a couple of things. Moses is standing in front of a bush that's on fire, but not being consumed. And it's the very presence of God saying to him, Moses, I want you to go to the Pharaoh and I want you to command him to let my people go. And here's the backstory: Moses fled from Egypt because he killed somebody. He didn't want to be there out of fear for his own life. His people are enslaved and in captivity. And here's a bush on fire, God's presence saying to him, oh no, you're going to go back. And not only are you going to go back, but you're going to tell the Pharaoh to let all the Israelites go. And we see in that text, Moses is a little anxious and worried too. He doesn't feel like he knows how to say things. He doesn't feel like he's the right man. But here's the question he says to God. He says, who do I tell the people sent me? And God says, I am. It is the most holy name of God throughout all the Scriptures. I am. And here you have the disciples in a boat Scared for their lives. Before Jesus had calmed the storm, now He's not. Then they figure out, okay, this is Him, and He's standing there, the storm's still going on. But what does He say to them? Take heart. I am. You see, this is why as you read on the text, you see that the disciples for the very first time in Matthew's Gospel, the pieces start to come together and they give the affirmation in verse 33, truly you're the Son of God. And they worship Him. You don't see the disciples up to this point worship Jesus. Do you see the little manger scene we've got with the, the Magi in our front yards? The text tells us Jesus is about two. They come and what do they do? They worship Jesus. You see others in response to miracles He does worship Jesus. But the disciples up to this point, we don't see this. But for the very first time in the text, we see the disciples worship Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is God. And Jesus is man. Jesus is the Messiah. And this is so much more than someone who's going to restore things politically or, or make stuff better for them or give them a helicopter. This is God. And He's there. And as they focus on Him, we learn something about what we're supposed to do in the midst of our storm, in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our heartache, in the midst of our wondering, God, where are You? And why would You let this? And why another time? And why is this happening again? And why can't why this person of all people, why, why Lord, there's all these bad people out there, why would You allow them to suffer and them to be afflicted? And Lord, I thought we were past this, but here it is again. And you ask all those questions, you don't understand it. And we can look to the disciples in the boat and we can learn a little something about what we're supposed to do in the midst of our hardships. We are to focus on the very Son of God. Jesus Christ. Fully God. Fully man. It wasn't the last time, incidentally, that Jesus would be on a mountain. He's on a mountain this time praying for Him. Pretty soon we're going to see Him on a mountain dying for Him. 
and for you and for I. He says, take heart as I, do not be afraid. True faith means that we look to Jesus in the midst of the hardship and last, as we've seen here in the text, it means that we worship Jesus regardless of our circumstances. Notice here that the circumstances don't immediately change. Jesus says, take heart, it's I, don't be afraid, I am, but what's going on? There's still a storm. And, and Peter, who, who we often think of as the, the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth, uh, you know, he, he, you almost expect Peter to say, okay, Jesus, well, I don't know if you notice, but you know, here's my weather app and there's a storm. It's around us, maybe you can do something. He doesn't say that, but he does kind of step out there. Verse 28, he says, Well, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out onto the water. Now, I want to do this too. And the text doesn't tell us his motivation, but Jesus doesn't uh, rebuke him. He says, okay, come Peter. And you know the story. Peter gets out of the boat. He walks on the water. He comes to Jesus. But then he starts to look at his circumstances. Just imagine this for a second. You're Peter. You're standing on water. And you're not sinking. And here's Jesus who's just made the proclamation that He is God standing there. But as soon as Peter stops focusing on that and he starts focusing on this, he gets worried and the text tells us he begins to sink. And there's something there about our faith as well. Because it is so easy for us to get distracted by our circumstances. And it's so easy for us to forget about the fact that Jesus just fed maybe 30,000 people with one bag lunch and start to get worried because there's a storm. A storm that we've already seen Him in the past on the same sea of Galilee, calm with His very Word. But we, we have an issue because we forget things quickly. And that's why we, like the portrait we see of the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament, we're so quick to forget the great things God has done. And so we're, we're so quick to complain when it, we don't have it our way. And we're so quick to grumble. And we're just like the people of Israel who God takes them out of captivity, takes them out of death and destruction in Egypt, and they're sitting there complaining because their bellies aren't full anymore. The text tells us we're the same way. And that's why there's this reminder here in Peter's situation that, that we must keep our focus on Christ because, friends, our circumstances will change. Storms will come and go. If things are going well for you right now, I'm glad. They're not going to keep going that way. The, the bottom's going to drop out at some point because in this world, Jesus said, we're going we're to have bottoms drop out. We're going to have loss and suffering. We're going to have hard things. But here's the great news of the Gospel. It's just in this world. And this world's over in a blink. Anytime I sit down with folks who are you know, mature in years, I always hear, as we talk about life, kind of this similar sentiment. The years just go by faster now. I was sitting with someone recently and they're well on in years. And that's the statement they made three or four times. They said, you know, it just, man... Just yesterday was 2011. And I said, well, actually, really, it was 2011. But, you know, the, you know but, but just the day before that, it was 2010. And it just goes by so quick. Think about that for a second. It, it does go by quick. 
But eternity goes on forever. And we're not going to be sitting around in eternity going, well man, this eternity is sure going by real quick. And we're not going to be sitting up there complaining about the storm. And we're not going to be sitting up there worried about how we're going to pay our mortgage or distressed because of cancer or mad because of what someone's done to hurt us. We're going to be sitting there singing praises to God forever. In all things, he says in Revelation 21.5, all things for those who have trusted Christ and placed their faith in Christ, all things are made new. The storms don't last forever. And that is why we worship Jesus, not our stuff and not our circumstances. As I was reading this, I was thinking, you know, if this was today, we would probably, after this, you know, Peter and Jesus get in the boat. Peter probably would write a book. We'd put him on a tour. He'd be speaking in our churches. It'd be all about Peter. You know, here's the guy who walked on water with Jesus. And notice, they don't say a lick about Peter. They just worship Jesus. And we need to do the same thing. It's, that's it. You know, forget everything else I said, the, the 10 second message this morning. Worship Christ. Because He is the only one that is worthy. And don't fool yourself into thinking that being around Him for His stuff is the same as worshiping Him because it's not. And we see that as the text goes on very quickly. Verse 34, they get out of the boat. They come to this town. The people in that town recognize Him. They send the news out. Bring everybody who's sick. And if we just touch His garment, we'll be healed. And that's exactly what happens. But don't think for a second that the text is telling us here that that was salvation for everyone. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that's saving faith. Basically what this says is these people have heard that Jesus heals people and they want to be healed and they touch His garment and they're healed. And it's kind of like that in the church today. Life gets hard. Life gets tough. We want a little bit of Jesus in our life. We show up. Things feel a little bit better. Then we go on about our merry way. These people still died. Maybe not of that sickness, but something eventually. You and I will as well. And the question is, when we stand before God one day, will we stand before Him as those who, like Peter in this passage, have cried out, Lord, save me, and we have placed our faith in Him because Christ in His death on the cross paid the penalty for our sin that we deserved Will we stand there as those who according to Romans 10 have confessed Him as Savior and as Lord and have received from Him His righteousness that we don't deserve because He paid for our sin, that debt that we did deserve? Or will we be standing there saying, well, I really like Jesus' stuff. And I really wanted a helicopter. And so I prayed this prayer and read this book and tried this stuff and life turned out pretty good. But with no concept of what it means to have saving faith in Christ. That is the question for us. And I want to implore you, if you have yet to make that decision, Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. (laughs) Scripture says in James, don't don't plan on tomorrow where you're going to go or what you're going to do. I'm going to go to such and such a city. I'm going to do such and such a thing today. And you have heard the Gospel today. And you need to respond to the Gospel today if you've not. And I realize many of you have. You need to respond as well. Because just like Peter, you can be walking on the water one second and you can be sinking another. 
And maybe you've gotten to a point where you've gotten so focused on the storm and the circumstance that you've taken your eyes off of Christ and you need to repent of that. And you need to focus on your Savior and King this morning. And we invite you to do that as well. If you'll go ahead and stand with me, I want to pray for us as we enter into a time of invitation. And during this time, if, if you'd like to come and talk about confessing Christ as your Savior, perhaps God has led you to come to this church to become a member Maybe you need to come and be baptized. Maybe you just need to come and have someone pray with you. Maybe just during this time, you just need to, to just, just quiet everything and right there where you're at, just, just repent. And go before Christ and say, Lord, my, my eyes have not been on you like they need to be. And I, I repent of that. And storms are going to come and go. And death and disease is going to come and go. But I'm going to be with Christ forever. And Lord, help that to be my focus this Lord's Day. Whatever it is, I invite you during this time to respond. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You for Your Word and the glory of it. Thank You, Lord, that we can learn this morning from someone whose faith was struggling in a boat 2,000 years ago. Thank You, Lord, that the great message here is not that if we were just more like Peter, life would be good, but the message here is that the Almighty, Sovereign God of the universe knows the storm we're in. And You care for us and You love us. And Lord, that doesn't mean that storm's not going to last, but it does mean it won't last forever. And thank You, Lord, that there's glory and a new heaven and a new earth, and that is eternal and this is not. Lord, I pray now that You would lead any that You're calling to respond this morning, and I pray for that in Jesus' name.